Well, friends, today we're beginning a brand new sermon series, What Can't Wait. So you might or might not know, we've talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the worship service, but Advent is a season where we practice waiting. How good are y'all at waiting? So good? No good? No good? Okay, all right. We're somewhere in the middle. Listen, you're practicing with other people. You're here in this church, and we're here to practice with you what it means to wait. We wait for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to be born among us at Christmas. But what I want to say to you is this is not idle waiting, like the waiting that y'all do at the doctor's office where you have to find something to do. You check the same text message 15 times. You look at the same tired old magazine. You don't know what to do until the doctor calls your name. This is active waiting active waiting, waiting where we do something. So we know Jesus is coming on Christmas. That's where the party is, isn't it? Jesus comes on Christmas. That's the party. So just like we would do it any, for any other party, we prepare. But instead of cooking the meal, setting up the decorations, doing the work, the physical work of preparing, instead we do spiritual work. We do spiritual work. We ask ourselves, what in my spiritual life what in my walk with Jesus needs attention? What's gotten a little bit dusty? What isn't used as much as it could be? What in my spiritual life needs attention? What requires my work and my preparation? Where can I do a little bit of extra work as I wait to prepare? What can't wait until Christmas to be done? What can't God wait for me to do? And so together, as we pray and prepare uh, for Advent, for, for the coming of Jesus on Christmas, we will imagine, we'll prioritize, and we'll do this work together as a church family. And so over four weeks, Pastor Pete and I are going to be preaching through those common themes of Advent. You might recognize them as we light the Advent candles, hope, peace, love, and joy. But instead, we'll put a twist on them. Hope can't wait. Peace can't wait. Love can't wait. Joy can't wait. And so this week, we're having a conversation about hope. Let's pray together. Holy God, we are so thankful that what the hymn says is true. That on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other sound, all other ground is sinking sand. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Thank you, God, that you are our firm foundation. Thank you, God, that you are the one in whom we can place our hope. When everything else feels like sinking sand, when there's no other place in our lives where we can turn to and know with confidence that it will still be strong, we can turn to you. Thank you. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be holy and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. Hope is the confident expectation that a person holds that something they deeply want to have happen will happen someday. A confident expectation that a person holds that something they want to have happen someday will happen. It's what keeps Cleveland Browns fans cheering for their team. I'm sorry, y'all. Believing that maybe next year will be the year for the Super Bowl, even if this year. What's the record? Y'all know? I looked it up. 
three and seven, hoping that they'll go to the Super Bowl someday, even though they haven't been to that final game since it started in the 1970s. Or maybe, given yesterday's performance in the shoe, I know some of y'all were there, chin up, it's okay. <laughs> Hope is maybe next year will be the year that we beat that team up north. Sometimes you just got to choose hope, even when all evidence points to the contrary. Hope is when you, something that you borrow from a friend or a loved one when the situation that you find yourself in feels hopeless, feels beyond redemption. When your diagnosis comes back, or when the IVF treatment was again unsuccessful, or the pink slip comes, maybe you can't feel hope for yourself but somebody that you know and love sees for you a different future. Sometimes others hope for us when we cannot hope for ourselves. Hope is what we rely on when we plant a tree whose fruit will take beyond our lifetime to mature and be ready to eat. Hope is what folks have when they choose to rebuild yet again after another natural disaster, to rebuild their homes, their businesses, their lives. It's picking up once again, believing that somehow, some way, this time, it's going to be okay. Hope is longing for the not yet. Longing for the not yet while you live in the already. Longing for the not yet while you live in the already. It's looking with God's eyes and learning to see what God sees. And hope is the vision that the prophet Isaiah gives to the people of Israel. In the text that we hear from today, I want you to listen for this not yet vision that the prophet presents to the people. And you can look at this beautiful vision of God's holy mountain. I think this is such an appropriate thing for us to be able to visualize and look at today. So the prophet tells the people that the Lord God is uh, making his home in a high holy mountain above all others. And that people from all over the place flock to see God. They come there to seek God because they want to learn from God's ways. They want to walk in God's path. They want to become more like God. And, and Isaiah is presenting this vision of God as a righteous judge. Not for just some nations, but for all nations. And because God rules and reigns over all peoples with justice and with fairness, notice what there's not a need for. There's not a need for weapons of war. So swords and spears become plows and pruning hooks. Neither, neither do the people need to teach their children about war. It's just not necessary. The Lord God brings peace. This is the vision. This is the promise. This is the not yet future hope. This is what it's going to be like one day when all of us are in God's kingdom and it hasn't yet come to pass. And in fact, if you look in the scripture, the exact opposite is true for the people of Israel. If you read there back in chapter 1, what you'll see is that Israel stands accused by God of all sorts of bad stuff, right? Murder and injustice rebellion and corruption. They trample the poor. They ignore the orphan and the widow. They don't do what God wants. They don't even uphold the end of the bargain that they made with God to be God's people. They just do what they want. They just do what they think is right. They just go the direction that they think that they should go. And so what God does is pronounces a judgment. 
the Assyrian Empire has invaded, they've captured its cities and all of its people, and it's against this backdrop that Isaiah proclaims this word of hope from chapter 2. Isaiah proclaims a word of hope because they need a word of hope. The situation is pretty bleak. And that's just like you and me as we come into this time of worship today. We all need hope. We need hope when life isn't going the way we expect it will. Is life going exactly the way you thought it would? Mine either. We need hope in times of frustration. We need hope in times of despair. We need hope. It can't wait. We can't wait for it. In February of 1968, two months before he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave an address in Washington, D.C., where he said this, We must learn to accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. We must learn to accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. He knew what he was talking about. King was working alongside countless others across the country for racial equality for most of his adult life. And those folks, they knew what they were up against. They knew the disappointments that they would encounter. They knew that they would encounter setbacks, and they sure did. And no one would have blamed them in those moments for losing hope. But they kept at it. They accepted the disappointments as they came. They held on to hope because they knew that the work for racial equality was worth it. And they knew it would take a long time. We're still working at it all these years later, aren't we? We're still working. They understood that what was finite was the disappointment. They understood that the what was finite was the disappointment that the possibility, God's future, how God sees the world and all God's people together, infinite. That's where their hope came from. Life has finite disappointments. It has setbacks. We are hurt, and we hurt others. Sometimes we get let down by the people we love the most, family and friends, Sometimes the work that we pour our lives into lets us down. Sometimes our health fails. Sometimes we fall short of our goals. Sometimes our dreams don't become reality. Sometimes the team loses. Help us, Jesus. Sometimes the diagnosis shocks us. Sometimes the job doesn't work out. Sometimes the words hurt. We have moments in our life where nothing seems like it's going right. And what I want to say to you, friends, is that there is healing in acknowledging that this is true. This is true. Not just for you, not just for me, but for all of us. Are there disappointments that you bring into this time of worship today? Is there hope that has fallen short? I want you to know that if no other person, if no other place is safe for you to acknowledge that, you can acknowledge it to God. You can acknowledge it here in this time. You can trust God with it. Life has its share of disappointments, but they are finite. Doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. You might be, but maybe not to. Doesn't mean that you're human, that you're living in a broken, 
hurting and sinful world. It's a world in need of redemption, and it's to this world that God promises to send Jesus, the Savior, the one who will make all things right, all things whole, all things new. It might feel like the disappointment is the worst part, but what I want to say to you is the disappointment's not the worst part. The disappointment is finite. The worst part would be losing infinite hope in who our God is and what our God has promised that God will do. So in a time of desolation and desperation, the people of Israel, they waited in hope for peace. They clung to God's vision of what that peace would be like, God's holy mountain. And in our times of desperation and desperation, desolation, both individual and also collective, we wait in hope for a life and for a world as it will one day be when Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, returns once for all. Jesus, our living, our infinite hope. But what I want to be careful and say to you in the midst of this is that there's a certain kind of quality of the hope that I am talking about. It's not false hope. Like, y'all remember chain letters? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of us were old enough, it was me, uh, to remember paper chain letters that came in the actual mail, right? Somebody put a stamp on it and sent it to your house. Like, send this to five friends and make a wish at 12.14 p.m. while standing on one leg, and the wish that you make will come true, right? Y'all remember those? <laughs> this isn't that. That's not what we're talking about here. That kind of hope, that's naivete. That's false hope. It's hope without any realistic, realistic end. I'm also not talking about realism without hope, because that's just another way to talk about cynicism. And what I want you to know is that if you are in a place where you are feeling realistic without hope, I understand that. God sees you and God loves you, and God has a different vision for your life and for the future. What I'm talking about is hopeful realism, hopeful realism, and realistic hope. You know, I can never listen to this passage of Isaiah and not think of author and activist Shane Claiborne. I first read his book, The Irresistible Revolution, when I was in high school, and it's one of the books um, that I read that really helped me figure out that God was calling me into ministry. He lives in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And that is a city that is absolutely plagued by gun violence. I looked up the statistics um, in Philadelphia to date. There have been 465 homicides. That's four times here in Columbus. 435 of those were fatal shootings. And so what Claiborne did is he looked around him at the realities of the city that he really loved. It was his home. It is his home still. And he saw what was happening to the people that he loved in the moment. He saw finite disappointment, horrible death. But he also saw with God's eyes a vision like the one that God had given to Isaiah for the future kingdom of God, a future where swords and shields and spears become plows and pruning hooks. And so he decided to lean into that vision of God's peace, that infinite hope, that world did not yet exist in the city where he lived. And so he and five friends began working in Philadelphia. They found ways to make their hope a reality. So the first thing that they did about 24 years ago was they bought up a bunch of houses in an abandoned neighborhood in Kensington, which is one of the neighborhoods in, in Philadelphia, and they founded an intentional Christian community. 
modeled on Acts chapter 2 where they share all things in common and they take care of each other. And so they intentionally chose a place that had been abandoned and forgotten and left behind. They chose a place where the crime was even higher and the infant mortality was even higher and the single parents were abundant and where everything felt hard and tough and they just began to love their neighbors and establish peace in that particular way. They were a living means of hope in their community. They helped to build peace together. And then about 12 years ago, they started a company called Raw Tools that literally beats donated weapons of violence into tools for peace. Swords and guns become plows and pruning hooks. Hope for a different vision for their city couldn't wait. So they got started. Now this thing, that might not be your thing, okay? You might have a completely different feeling on all of that, and that's okay, but there is something out there that you hope for. There's something out there that you are passionate about, that God has given you passion for. Maybe it is a world without cancer. Maybe it's a safer place for your kids and your grandkids. Maybe it is a world where everyone has enough. What is it that you hope for? What has God given you hope for? You can be part of it hoping for it in an infinite sort of way. And you might need to know that that hope will never be fully realized in your lifetime in mine, but you can still be part of building that hope, living into that not yet of God's promised future, a future you might not see personally, but that you believe one day will come, and that builds hope for future generations. The choices you make now in this hour, in this day, in this week, in this life, they can change you, they can change us, and change our world. So in Advent, we wait. And as we wait, we hope. And as we hope, we work. We look beyond our current disappointment, beyond our current dismay. We look with the eyes of God, and what we see is God's infinite possibility. And we commit to live in hope so that with God's help, the world as it already is will become what it is not yet the world that God dreams it could be. May it be so.